Welcome to the top 10, where we explore some of the most influential films from different movie genres. I'm Vicky Sayers, and I'm joined by film critic and broadcaster James Cameron Wilson, and we are talking about quirky films, James. This is an odd one, isn't it? One we both found quite difficult to quantify. Well, well, absolutely. Um, Film, when it's not being totally straight, Mm. can get straight to the heart by an often circuitous route. And there is often a fine line between what is whimsical Mm -hmm. and what is just plain weird. But on this programme... I have tried to forge a middle ground. On the one hand, one has the experimental films of Louis Bunuel and Salvador Dali, like Large Door, and the mad work of pioneers of the weird, like Todd Browning. Or say a film like Reefer Madness, 1936, which was both a critical and box office disaster, (laughs) but to this day refuses to go away. Not only has it acquired a cult following, but is considered by many critics to be the worst film (laughs) ever made. Nonetheless, it is the work of the film pioneer Louis J. Gasnier, best known for directing The Perils of Pauline, which was a classic. Okay. In 1914. I believe you. Who ended his career with a whimper, with reefer madness. Is that, and that's to do with drugs, right? That's referencing drugs. That sort of reefer. Uh, Yeah, a propaganda piece that showed clean-cut American teenagers taking a drag on a marijuana cigarette (gasps) and then resorting to sexual assault, manslaughter and madness before their untimely death. Good God! Its reputation seems to have grown exponentially, uh, so much so that his generated endless late-night showings so audiences could laugh at it, usually under some influence or other. Right. Which is kind of ironic considering what the film is about. It's also spawned an award winning New York musical. And later, the show, that stage show, was filmed for television featuring the likes of Alan Cumming and Nev Campbell. But before I go to my top 10 favourite whimsical films, one mustn't forget the whimsical with the gross sentimentality of Frank Capra and Michael Power. I'm saying that because they are such iconic filmmakers, but even they made whimsical films at their most brilliant. Frank Capra, of course, directed It's a Wonderful Life, Mm -hmm. which is pretty whimsical when you think about it, Mm. Um, to say quirky even. Yeah. And A Matter of Life and Death, where an RAF pilot is shot down prematurely and goes to heaven to argue his case that he should actually still be on Earth, played by David Niven. Mm -hmm. And that is often cited along with Lawrence of Arabia as one of the greatest British films ever made, if not the greatest British film ever made. Weird also leads to the banquets of bad taste provided by the likes of John Waters. John Waters' Hairspray was also turned into a stage musical and then consequently a musical film based on the stage musical with John Travolta in drag (laughs) singing. Yep. Yep. And others. And there's also a, a, another program that we could dedicate purely to the surreal, mm. such as Alejandro Jarorowski's unsettling epic masterpiece, El Topo, one of the first films I ever saw at an art house cinema in London when mm-hmm. I moved to London. I can still not get images of that out of my head. That was genuinely weird. Okay. And of course, if you look at the um, oeuvre of Monty Python, that was very, very quirky. Yes, that's one word for it, yeah. 
Well, yes. <laughs> bizarre. Very bizarre. If not Python-esque. Yes, exactly. But I, I'm, I haven't done a straw poll for this. This is strictly my favourite quirky films. Okie dokie. Of all time. Let's go for it, number well, one. Well, I'm going to go for the film you probably haven't heard of. 1973, directed by Lindsay Anderson, who came from the Royal Court, was a real master of theatre. And he made a film called If, with Malcolm McDowell as McTravis, which was a film about class. Mm. And O Lucky Man is using the same character, McTravis, who is now a coffee salesman, not a rebellious schoolboy. It opens with his... I I can't even say this on radio. It it opens with a very violent scene. Right. It is very funny. There's a lot of actors in it, like Sir Ralph Richardson, Arthur Lowe, a very sexy young, Helen Mirren, (laughs) uh, Dandy Nichols and Rachel Roberts playing many different characters throughout the film. Alan Price, who was a very successful singer-songwriter back then, the the soundtrack did really well, including Oh Lucky Man. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's on screen singing with Lindsay Anderson, the director, wandering around the studio on the film. So very meta sort of commentary on Britain at the time in 1973. And you look at it now and you think, gosh, Lindsay Anderson, if he was still alive, would have so much fun directing a film about modern Britain Mm. today. But you look at Alan Price on screen and and you realise that when you see these old films that... There's a film like There's Something About Mary where the the musicians who write the songs for that film are on screen throughout and they periodically appear. So nothing is new. And right. Oh Lucky Man in 1973 got there first. It's bizarre, it's black, it's hilarious and very angry um, about the st- state of Britain then. And I'm okay. going to go on to another British film. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to Quirky again. This is How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Directed by Bruce Robertson, again, following a film that he made, which is one of the standards called Withnell, mm. or Withnail, to pronounce it incorrectly, Withnail and I, yeah. with the same actor, Richard E. Grant. And he made a film that, for some reason, connected with me far more than the classic. Okay. A lucky man connected with me far more than if. And the same actor, and again, we've got Richard E. Grant as... Dennis Bagley, who is an advertising executive who reckons he can sell shampoo to a bald man. And he says, the world is a shop. Everything has a price tag. However, his talent is stretched when he has set the challenge of selling a pimple cream known as the Boil Buster. (laughs) And he starts to develop a carbuncle above his clavicle, sorry, his collarbone, which develops a voice of its own. (laughs) What? Um... I think Widnell and I secured a cult following. This, it's wickedly entertaining film. Yeah. It, it's actually farce. Now, farce is incredibly hard to do. I, I'm not a fan of farce. Right. This really pulled it off uh, as a medium. And, and, and farce can be very funny as well as challenging. This film is stylish, terrifying, and thought-provoking. Okay. Who would want a talking boil just above one's clavicle? I, I'm going to guess no one. And I think it's Richard E. Grant's best performance. Okay. Uh, even though he was nominated for his first Oscar for Can You Ever Forgive Me, directed by a woman. And a very Mariel different Heller. sort of film, I imagine. Uh, entirely. Mm. Uh, he's wonderful, this. He's manic. He's at his best. <laughs> I'll have to see this. <laughs>
So what's and the next we move one? on to another manic actor mm. whose two best films are featured in my top ten. Okay. He's never received an Oscar nomination. Oh, poor thing. Because the Oscars don't believe in women or comedy. Okay, well, my two favourite things. Yep, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and funny women. Yeah. This film is called The Truman Show. So good. Directed in 1998 by Peter Weir. Now, Peter Weir, he made a black comedy in 1974, which you could call quirky, called The Cars That Ate Paris, hinting at that he was no conventional filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But his later films, and I have to mention because they're all fantastic, The Last Wave, which he did in Australia, Gallipoli with a very young Mel Gibson, The Year of Living Dangerously, Witness with Harrison Ford, Dead Poets Society, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. These are all extraordinary films, which I think has confirmed, confirmed him as one of the greatest directors of his generation. It's a terrible waste. He hasn't made a film for nine years, mm-hmm. but he made The Truman Show, which is about, which sort of preceded Big Brother, really. Yeah. It's Truman Burbank, who was literally born on camera, and his ordinary life is monitored by over 5,000 hidden cameras, and he doesn't know. That's the what. That's the fun of the film. He is played by Jim Carrey. We got there. I was going to say we haven't actually said Jim Carrey yet, but yep, he he <laughs> I is haven't indeed. Forgotten Jim Carrey, and this and the other film I think are his two best films. He's very funny. He's very off the cuff, and he's just wonderful in this as a kind of everyman. Yeah, really. But he's so good at being emotional as well. Like he he can be manic and and hilarious. But this is a very emotional film too. It is. Um, I got I, one of the most extraordinary endings. I think well, I literally gasped. It's out so loud. clever. I uh, yeah, I, I love that film. So good. And the fact that his he doesn't realise that his wife is played by an actress. It, and, and his yeah. best friend is an actor. And then it's and tragic. It's, I can't remember if you know at the beginning of like we the we as the audience knows everything that he's being filmed and stuff. But I do. But you, the more you watch it, the more you notice like all the different places that there are cameras. So yes. like there's um when the bin man wheeled his bin past at one stage when he's getting in the car at the beginning, there's like a little camera <laughs> under the lid and stuff like that. So it, it's just incredible to think that. I suppose if you're not expecting it, which why would you be? It's it's highly you you might miss that for some. I mean, not the not till he's like thirty five or however old he is in this film. But you might miss it for a few days if people are performing just for you. And then mm. when you leave, imagine you're in a room of full of people, and then you leave the room and they all stop because they're only there to. But that's all he knew. Yeah. That was his reality. Crazy, but I mean, truly quirky. But I think such. I think it's so so clever and and so original. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah. is that. As is the next one, 99, made merely a year later by Spike Jones, mm-hmm. written by Charlie Kaufman, being John Malkovich. Do you know anything about it? I've that? heard a lot about it, but I'm, I'm still not entirely clear on, on do, it. Do you know who Kafka is? Yes, but again, not sure. I know, okay, but don't know. This is very Kafka-esque. Yeah, they say, that's exactly, everyone says Kafka-esque, and yeah, I know yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is the story of Craig Schwartz, played by John Cusack, who is a filing clerk, who oh. works for a company whose ceilings are only five foot three inches high and contains a portal in the office that runs directly into the head of John Malkovich. Right. The actor. Yeah. Who plays himself in the film. Now, if that is not quirky, I don't know <laughs> what is. John Cusack is six foot two, incidentally. Yeah. So 
he obviously has to bend down a lot. A lot. Uh, his wife is played by Cameron Diaz. Okay. From There's Something About Mary, who collects stray animals, including a traumatised chimpanzee. And she's really sort of looks very dowdy in this film, if that's possible. It was really interesting to get a sex, a sex bomb, I think, to use the old-fashioned term, <laughs> and to make her dowdy in yeah. that. Um, and I think it takes a film like Being John Malkovich to remind one of the limitless bounds of what is possible in cinema. And everything about it is so original. So are they controlling his brain? You'll have to see the film okay. before I tell you any of that. Okay. Um, I, I think just such off-kilter zaniness is yeah. ha- a hard act to pull off. And Charlie Kaufman is absolutely wonderful. He also did Adaptation, where Nicolas Cage played twin brothers, one of whom turned out to be imaginary. Also co-starring Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper, who won the Oscar. But Charlie Kaufman is absolutely amazing. I love all his stuff. Is it Spike Jones or Charlie Kaufman? Charlie Kaufman, who wrote Being John Malkovich. Okay, fine. Uh, He wrote other stuff like Synecdoche, New York, Mm -hmm. and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But yes, Spike Jones was the director. Right, I just wanted to make sure. But I think Charlie Kaufman was really the creative genius behind this. But Spike Jones knows how to use his works. Much like mm-hmm. much like the Coen brothers work together. One does the writing, one does the directing, mm. and they exchange roles. Speaking of whom In, well actually <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to go with this because I think all their films are quirky to a degree. Yeah. But I'm gonna choose two as sort of companion pieces. Okay. Oh Brother Where Art Thou, made in two thousand. Uh, and this is as zany as zany as George Clooney gets. <laughs> um now, it's credited to Joel Kern, but um, Ethan actually did work on it together. And only recently have the Kern brothers started to get equal billing, which is really odd. Hmm. And they work on the film from, from the very beginning. They script it, they edit it. They, these are really their films. And this is just one of a whole oeuvre of quirky comedies from the brothers. I think only the Coens could dream up a gospel crime musical based on Homer's The Odyssey. Wow. Which is what, O oh Brother, Where Art Thou is. Okay, but that's there we have well it. Now. A parody of chain gang movies set in the Deep South. Okay. The film is awash with wonderful characters. But I should say now, because I know you love animals. Yep. All the scenes involving cows were monitored by the American Humane Association. Even that in itself is scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> It's really quirky. But okay. in the same breath, I have to mention Raising Arizona, which is probably my favourite Coen Brothers film and the quirkiest, with Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter. Not anything with Nicolas Cage I've to- in it. I've talked about it before with you, and it's just sublime okay. and still makes me laugh to this day. Great. But generally quirky. And we have to include a French film. Mm-hmm. From all-time favourite comedy to all-time favourite film, probably. Really? Yeah, okay. in my opinion. Have you seen Amelie? No, because the poster puts me off. I know that sounds really weird, but I, I remember seeing it back in the day when Blockbuster was alive, RIP. I'd always walk <laughs> past Amelie and see her her little face poking out. And and for some reason, I thought it was going to be... That, that actually gave me the impression that it was going to be like a bit of a scary film. I don't know why. She looks slightly like otherworldly. Autre tattoo. 
Yeah, she, there's just something that doesn't, in my opinion, quite right about her in that poster that I'm like, is she going to get possessed or something? So I've clearly got the wrong end of the stick. I know that's not what Amelie is about, but when I was younger, that is the impression I got. Therefore, I have never seen it. But please tell me what it's actually please about. It. it is works on so many levels. It is quite amazing. I have seen it twice, but not for quite a long time because it was made in 2001, mm-hmm. which is about 18 years ago. Yeah. Shall I give you a little interesting fact? Yes. Do you know why it's called Amelie? No. Because Jean-Pierre Jeannot, who wrote it and directed it, wanted the English actress Emily Watson to play Amelie. And oh, really? It took a long time to get the film off the ground, and by that time she'd committed to another film. Uh. But he wanted to keep the title, so he uh. francophiled it. Uh, <laughs> Emily ended up as Amelie. Amelie, yeah. And this is a story of a do-gooder who tries to make everybody's lives better. Mm -hmm. And you see her from her early days uh, growing up. And it's wonderful use of film. There's no kind of sense of grammar. It just sort of flits around and have little sort of explanations and bubbles and captions and fast-forwarding just to sort of move the story forward, which turns out to be ultimately a love story because Amelie is doing everything for other people, not for herself. And she's got this wonderful imagination, which is captured on film, of course. It is very stylized. There is a wonderful soundtrack, possibly the best soundtrack ever written for a film. Okay. By Jan Tiersen. Mm-hmm. And it is throughout until... And I have to say this because it's such a magical moment in cinema history. When Amelie finally gets to kiss the man she loves. And she's only very short. <laughs> and suddenly... Vicky, the music stops, and it's a shock. And she, on tiptoe, she tiptoes up to kiss him, and you can hear the creak of the floorboard beneath her. And it's suddenly so real, the first kiss. And I think that's really clever. Pull back that music, suddenly at that moment. It's wall-to-wall music Mm. until then. So almost the opposite of the usual. Usually, that's when the string section pulls into gear. For that moment. Yeah. And he did the reverse and pulled back from that. And it is so quirky. It is so delightful. Um, it's a masterpiece that literally, not literally, <laughs> it's a masterpiece that leaps off the screen. <laughs> it's got a painterly eye. It's got a musician's ear and an optimist's heart. It is so heartwarming. Okay, maybe I should watch it then. So she doesn't get possessed. No, she does not get possessed. Apart from maybe with love. Moving on, what's the next one? Okay, this is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Now, this is a remake. I'm not going for the original with Danny Kaye, who was a very successful entertainer in his day. This one is actually directed by Ben Stiller, who also has the leading role. Hmm, okay. And he's such a good director. And it is so visually inventive and imaginative Mm -hmm. that I never would have believed. I've always loved Ben Stiller. Yeah, he is Since he did a film called Flirting with Disaster. Oh, I haven't seen that. With uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Not, yeah, Mary Tyler Moore. I can't believe it. And Alan Alder and Patricia Arquette. And it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And he's now obviously a huge star and Mm. a very talented filmmaker. Um, And he plays a character who's charged with processing and filing the negatives of Life magazine. Oh. And he's known as a negative asset 
manager. Right. And it's all about him losing a negative and then having to go to Mount Everest to find it. And it's a long story with a wonderful, very charismatic cameo from Sean Penn. It's it's sweet. It's epic. It's magical. And I use this word hesitantly. Okay. Uh, even profound. Okay. Quite extraordinary. A contemplation of what it means to live one's life to the full outside of the studio, outside of the cinema. But I don't think it's so much a remake of the 1947 film of the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still inspired by the short story written by James Thurber, who was a wonderful satirist a long time ago in the early part of the 20th century, uh, about the daydreamer of the title. And Walter Mitty in America, you'll be referred to as being a Walter Mitty. I mean, he's that famous a character from the story, uh, a complete daydreamer. Mm. So like Johnny Hedonair for English people, or old-fashioned English people that read that. Old-fashioned Hedonair, but that's before my time, absolutely. Not before mine, clearly. And uh, having talked about the Coen brothers, I feel I must also talk about Wes Anderson. Do you know the name Wes Anderson? Of course. Of course, okay. Of course. Yeah, okay. No, I actually do. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded sarcastic, but I do. He makes really quirky films. Mm -hmm. And I I think what I love about this film, which is called The Grand Budapest Hotel, released in 2014, set in and around the hotel of the title, Mm -hmm. spectacularly positioned in a fictitious Alpine locale. It's narrated... It's got three narrators, which I love. Tom Wilkerson, Mm -hmm. Jude Law and F. Murray Abraham and concerns the adventures of the so-called legendary concierge, Gustav H. And he's played by Rafe Fiennes. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this film? Yeah. <gasps> Isn't Rafe Fiennes hilarious? It's great. I mean, it's a, I haven't seen it since I saw it, but I remember I loved it. Oh, good, Vicky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the man who's played Coriolanus, I the know. English patient. Voldemort. Schindler's List, Voldemort. And suddenly, He's as funny. Gustav H., I couldn't believe how funny he yeah. is. And there's so many like famous people in it, like really big names, just popping in and out, aren't there? Um, Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, Harvey Keitel, Bill Murray, Owen Edward Norton. The always mentioned Saoirse Ronan, so if I can get away really, with it. Yes. And Owen Wilson, <laughs> yeah. to name but a few. Mm-hmm. And it's just so unpredictable. And it captures some of the old-fashioned slapstick of the early cinema. And it, it is slapstick, it, I suppose... It is farce, like how to get ahead in advertising mm. in a strange way. It is. Do you not think it's farcical? I'm just trying to remember, but as you say that, bits of bobs are coming back to me. Yeah, because I I do really love it, but I'd st- I've I seem to remember it's quite a complex or confusing, or just re- as as you, as we we're talking about really quirky um, plot. So it's not particularly linear in my mind what happened. I've just got lots a lot of different, happens. Yeah, and he's accused of murder, and he has to go on the run, and he's painting. helped by Harvey Keitel. And- yeah. And are there like um you know those those ski lifts involved in some way like those pods? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, so I'm remembering lots of random bits, but I do remember really enjoying it. And, indeed, it's a real surprise. I'm mm-hmm. glad it was actually recognised by the Academy. And my, to my next one, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. If the title doesn't tell you this is a quirky film, nothing will. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the aforementioned Jim Carrey, also from The Truman Show, this is his other great movie, in my opinion, and also heartbreaking, because in a strange way, he's 
actually incredibly straight in this film. Yeah. And Kate Winslet does the comedic heavy lifting. With she blue hair. She is so funny in this. This is directed by the French director Michel Gondry, written again by Charlie Kaufman with an extraordinary imagination. And it's about a couple who break up. Yeah. Who used to love each other. But yeah. have lost that spark, Vicky. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those ones which I think the timeline isn't quite what you expect it to be. So they're, what I remember is they, they keep seeing each other on the same train carriage. Um, and they sort of recognise each other. They, but they, they don't, but they, it's, like the, it's almost like the beginning of any other romantic film. Like, oh, we have to yes. stop meeting like this. But then it slowly unfolds that actually they have met before. And they were in love. But because it ended badly, or, or how, however, Kate Winslet decides to get her memories erased of him. And then he does the same. But then they start to remember... So it's all about them remembering, forgetting, sort of. I'm getting, I'm getting a choke just <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah, it is. A, it and is they go back to the love that originally drew them together. I can't even, does it? Because I can't remember how it ends. And it's so, well, you don't want to, because no. if you forget that, it's so wonderful you can go to back watch to again, it. Yeah. And she is so good. Yeah. And the Tom Wilkinson as the doctor sort of takes them in and starts eradicating their memories yeah bit by bit and, and i think start kirsten, slipping away yeah and kirsten dunst kind of like she's obviously um complicit to start with but yes. then at the end and mark ruffalo is in it it's got really? a really good cast yes oh i forgot that mm. Mm. oh it's a heartbreaking film and yeah. very funny and the imagery as well that michelle gondry brings to it uh, probably from the screenplay by charlie calvin mm. a really touching funny original heartbreaking Romantic comedy like That's you've it. never seen. I'd call it downright quirky. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing it's on this list then. And we've got one final one. Yeah, very we? quickly. This is um, Will Ferrell plays a character who is very OCD and he follows this very strict r- regimen, ritual in the morning, looking at the mirror as he's cleaning his teeth, only to realise gradually he's becoming to realise that he's a fictitious character. <laughs> Not and there's ideal. this narrator's voice, beautifully realised by Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. who is narrating his story. And he, he will be at a bus stop and he will ask complete strangers, can they hear that voice? But of course, it's not their story, it's his story. Yeah. And only he can hear Emma Thompson. And it is a remarkable film, directed by Mark Forster, who is a German director who's done mainly American films. And it's got a wonderful cast, Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah. Sorry, Queen Latifah. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Queen Latifah and Maggie Gyllenhaal, who is oh. wonderful in it. I saw it again recently mm-hmm. in preparation for this program. Yeah. And it was an utter delight. And I can't wait to sit down again with a friend mm-hmm. just so they can enjoy Stranger Than Fiction. Perfect. Thank you so much, James, yet again for your perfect top 10 summary. And that's it for this episode of the Top 10. Join us next time for more.